Every year I like to do um, kind of a bring it back to center message or kind of an alignment message, just who we are, what we're about. And um, it's kind of like when you go to, you know, a chiropractor. I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor. Um, you know, they put you on a table and they crack your back and it brings your spine into alignment or supposedly. <laughs> but, um, but it's supposed to make you feel better and get things aligned. And so that's what I kind of would like to do this morning. And so I was thinking about my first experience at a chiropractor, though. I hadn't been to one till a couple of years ago. I'm a grown man, about, I guess, 37, I guess, whenever I first went, maybe 36. And uh, it was a woman chiropractor, and I had no idea what to expect. But, you know, they put you up on a table, and they tell you to turn in all these weird positions. And I don't know about your chiropractor, but mine crawls up there on the table and basically gets there, and she got her knees on you, and, got, and she basically looks like a wrestling move, you know what I mean? And I remember, can you get up on the table? Sure. Okay, can you turn over? Yeah. Okay, and then she starts climbing on the table. I'm like, what? What are you? And my chiropractor's a big woman. You know what I mean? She is. I don't mean big, big, but she's like a tall woman in her hands. It looks like she's been cutting wood since she was six. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, mom, you know. And she gets there and she just, but she has to get you in the right positions to crack the right vertebrae or whatever. And, and you have to posture yourself correctly. And she said, no, shift a little more, shift a little more. Man, I'm trying to shift, you know. But I say that because this morning, this morning is going to be very quick pop um, to the body. But you, to receive, you're going to need to posture yourself. And so I'm asking you right now, are you postured for a good alignment this morning? And then you would like say yes. You would say no. You would walk out the door and, you know, give me one of these on the way out. Are you ready? Are you postured? Okay. As I was thinking about this alignment, a very familiar passage of Scripture came to me, and it's in Matthew 16. And uh, this is the story where, uh, well, let's just read it. You guys are familiar with it. I'm actually going to read this, and it's very familiar, so I was reading it out of the message version, and this is why this popped out out to me. I'm going to be reading out of the message version, but it shouldn't be terribly different from yours, so read along with me. Matthew 16, verse 13, and you'll recognize the text. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are the people saying about who the Son of Man is? You guys know where we're at? His disciples replied, well, some think the Son of Man is John John the baptizer. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then in verse 15, the message version says, he pressed them. In some of your versions, it might say something like, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Right here it says, but he pressed them. In other words, giving a little bit of, um, a little bit of the atmosphere right there. It says that he pressed them. And before I say anything else, I want you to know that I feel like that what the Lord is doing right now in the body of Christ, is he is pressing his people. Okay, for anyone that says that the Lord does not press his people, you're wrong. God presses his people. There's all kinds of stuff even in Scripture about the wine press and how it's the press that brings about the good wine. Amen? And so right here, Jesus is pressing them, and I'm going to show you uh, basically three things that I think he's pressing them on. Two are very obvious, and the other one is a little more obscure, but it's there. Okay? And so he is pressing them, and the first thing he presses them on is... And how about you? Who do you say that I am? He's pressing them. Who do you, I hear what they're all saying. Thank you for your response. But who, 
do you, Peter, who do you, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, thou art the Christ. Well, sorry, I'm quoting it from the other version. It says, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the one, you are the son of the living God. And I want to say something about this. This is what God is pressing on his people, I believe, in the body of Christ today. Because there is a lot of pressing. There is a lot of difficulty. There is a lot of pushing, I believe, of, of unbelievers, for sure, but also of believers. Maybe even more pressing of the believers. And one of the things he's wanting to know is, who are you going to say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's response was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the Greek, this word is Christ. In the Hebrew, Daniel says Messiah. Okay, so Christ, Messiah. And both of those words, both of those words mean the same thing. It means the anointed one. It means the chosen one. Okay, the anointed one to do what? If, if you, who do, I, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. And if Jesus were pressing, and maybe he did, maybe if he pressed him a little further, he might have brought up Isaiah 61. Because this is where it says what the anointed one or chosen one would do. I'm going to read it real quick. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is what you would call a messianic prophecy. A prophecy that points to um, the, either the person or the work of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes both. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Okay, so here we are. This is Christ talk here. This is Messiah talk. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. Again, familiar scriptures. Freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. Some of your versions say beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so when Peter says, thou art the Christ or thou art the Messiah, he is basically saying, you are the one Isaiah 61 was talking about. And this is a really big deal. Because a lot of the times we are not thinking anything about Isaiah 61 as we walk along with the Lord. When we say, who is the Lord or who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? He becomes all kinds of things. But whether it's in speech or in conduct, Isaiah 61 has little context in the way that we view and live out Jesus. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? But this is what Jesus is, is, is really pressing upon the believers. It is time to get back and understand that this is who I am. It's not only who I am, this is who I need to be to you. You need me to be the anointed one, the chosen one, to accomplish these things. So my question is this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? I've thought about this all week. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Tony Herring right now in, um, in one of the difficult seasons that I'm walking through? Who do you say that I am, Jesus, uh, Tony? Who do you say that I am? I say you're the Christ. I look to Isaiah 1. I say you are the one that is anointed to bring the good news to the afflicted. Salvation of God, which is what Jesus or Yeshua means. So this morning, who do you say? It's a simple question. It's a simple question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Have you allowed him to perform all of the mighty deeds, these mighty works that are laid out for us right here in Isaiah 61? Is this the Jesus 
that you're proclaiming, following, showing up on a Sunday morning to center this hour and a half, two hours around? Or are you going off what others say? Well, I mean, he's a good teacher, he's this, he's that. No, 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 no. Forget what everybody else is saying. What does God's word say and what has been revealed to you? In fact, that's what he goes on to say next. He says, Jesus came back. In other words, Jesus answered, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah or Bar-Jonah. God bless you. In other words, there is a blessing attached to the realization and revelation that Jesus is that Isaiah 61 Messiah. There's a blessing that comes with that. We don't have time to talk about all of those blessings, but God bless you, Jesus said. God bless you, Simon Peter. And he says, you didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. Remember, I'm reading out of the message version. He said, my Father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret of who I really am. In other words, it was revealed to you. It is revelation. Your eyes have seen the truth. Again, who do you say that he is? Are your eyes seeing the truth of who Jesus is? Because if you are, as we prayed earlier, the truth will set you free and therefore your life will look different. It can look different. It should and it will. Amen? In verse 18, he says, And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. And he says, You are Peter, a rock. Hit me hard this week. Here's who you are. You are Peter. You are a rock. And this was probably very difficult for Peter to hear and understand because I think Peter was very fearful and he was very insecure. He was a massive man probably and he had a lot of uh, zeal. But at the very same time as we've seen in Scripture, he was very insecure and very fearful for, so, for Jesus to say, you are a rock, and especially what he goes on to say next. You are a rock. It was probably not only hard for him to understand and believe, but also hard for the people around him who knew him well to understand and believe. But it was true. He may not have been that yet, but what was coming was the Holy Spirit. What was coming was when Jesus said, I am with you now, but very soon I will be in you. What was coming was the Holy Spirit. And so that changes everything. Jesus was speaking to who you will be when you're full of my Holy Spirit. You're going to be a rock. So my question to myself that I've been asking And I want to ask you this morning is, who do you say you are? Who do you say that you are? Are you a rock? Are you someone that the Lord can count on? Well, first of all, are you uh, someone who understands the significance of who Jesus is? And are you someone that he can count on to partner with him in carrying out his will? Not that he needs your help, but he, he invites us to come. Are you a rock? Do you see yourself as that? Do you see yourself as someone God could use to carry out His will, His purposes on the, earth, uh, on the earth? Are you someone who is partnering with Christ to accomplish His will? Are you? Who do you say Jesus is? And then who do you say you are in Him? If He's Isaiah 61 Messiah and those mighty works have been accomplished in you, then who are you? And do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as someone saved, healed, set free, delivered, empowered, different, changed? 
full of the Holy Spirit, able to do things that you never would have been able or even considered doing before Christ. Are you that person? Who do, who do you say Jesus is and who do you say you are? Remember, this is an alignment. These are the two, two of the most important things you could ask because everything about your life is about those two things. Who do you say that you are? Who do you say that you are? Tony, who do you say that you are? He goes on in verse 18. He says, this is the rock on which I will put together my church. When he says, this is the rock I will put together, some of your versions say, I will build my church. He's saying, upon this revelation that I am the Christ, I'm going to build my church. But also, we know that Peter was, you know, part of establishing the church. There's two things going on. He's kind of playing on words here. But he said, this is the rock on which I will put together my church. Now, some of your versions say, um, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that's, that really is what it translates. But I do love this because it gives a little bit of a twist on this. I will put together my church. First of all, the word church is the word ecclesia. We talked about that. And it literally means a, um, a, um, the called out ones. Those have been called out from the world set apart and belong as children of God to the Father. That's the church. The church is people. And so when he's saying this, he's not talking about big monuments and buildings. Those things aren't intrinsically evil, but that's not what he talks about. You guys do understand what I'm talking about, right? He's talking about people, and that's why I think I love the way he says this. This is the rock or the revelation on which I will put together my church. My oldest son, son loves Legos. And when he puts in his mind to build something, one of the first things he has to do is he's got to go to, he's got this little organized bin that he keeps all his Legos in. But when he gets something in his head to build, the first thing he has to do is he's got to go looking for the pieces. He's got to go find, oh, I need this red one about this size. I need this and I need this. And before long, he's created this thing. But he had to go and put together the pieces. And so that's the image that Jesus is giving here. On this rock, I will... Put together my church. In other words, I will gather people who will see that I am the Messiah, the Christ, who will understand who I have made them by my Holy Spirit and who will come together and carry out my purposes. And this is the third thing. The third thing I think God is pressing us on. He's pressing us on who he is. He's pressing on us who we are in him. And then the third thing I think that God is pressing on his believers is this thing called church. This thing called the gathering of the saints. People coming together to worship him, to be built up, encouraged, equipped, so that they can go and minister and reach more people, put together more people, gather more people for his namesake. That's, that's what God's, that's why he sent his son. Amen? This is, this is the stuff here. This is the juice. This is what this is all about. This is the rock on which I will put together my church that I will gather people, I will put the pieces together and build this thing. And I love what he says next. A church so expansive with energy. Now, he could have just said a church so expansive to where we would be, have a hard time really understanding if he, are you talking about a big building? Are you talk, but it's not what he says. He says expansive with energy. I love that because that denotes a people who have seen that he is the Lord. It denotes the people who are understanding who they are in him and those who are following him and are just as passionate 
about the overall body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, as he is. And so they are coming alongside him. Again, not that God needs, but he has, an invi- he has invited us. And he is doing something, an expansive a church or a people, an assembly, so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Your versions say that the gates of hell will not prevail. This is powerful, you guys. This is what God is pressing us on. And the reason is, is because in our faith, in this culture, the, the validity of who Christ really was is diminishing overall in culture. Now, we understand that there's tons of people getting saved, especially in you know, overseas and in other nations and even in our nations. But still, overall, there's an attack against who Jesus is. That they're just making Jesus whoever, he, whoever. The people say he might be John the Baptist. He might be just this normal guy. But Jesus was not a normal guy. He's Isaiah 61 good. <laughs> Amen? But there's an attack on that. Okay? I think there's also very much an attack on who we are in him. I don't want to go off on that, but I think we can see that. There's an attack against family. There's an attack against manhood, fathers. Scripture says that would happen. But this is what's going on. And, and for us to be a, 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 a church expansive with energy, we've got to see clearly, whoa, this is what's going on. We need to be pressed a little bit, and we need to respond with the right answers. Amen? And the three things that I believe that he's pressing, and there's other things I'm sure, but three things is who he is, who we are, and then what is the church? So that's my question. What do you say the church is? Of those, uh, this is another one of the top things that the enemy is coming against, and that is the gathering of the saints and the function of the church. The church has become many things But one of the things that's diminishing as is a um, gathering of the saints in a place where people can be built up, encouraged, equipped, and sent out from to minister to more people. It is becoming a social club. And there are some really good churches. Please hear me. I believe Soma is one of them. There's some great churches. There's some great churches here in Tyler. I meet with a lot of pastors. I have good friends that are pastors. Love their heart. Love their ministry. But you guys understand the overall bigger picture that I'm painting who Jesus is, who we are in him, and then the significance of church is diminishing in our culture. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor that if we don't begin to understand and grab revelation about those three things and why it's significant, I believe that we will be among those who fall away in the end times, in the last days. Oh, I wouldn't do that because I'm strong. Lots of people will be deceived, it says. And it starts, without, uh, it starts with not understanding who Jesus really is. It, understand, it starts without understanding who you are in Him. And it starts by thinking, I can have a relationship with God outside of the gathering of the saints. And you can. But the point of that is that you will be stronger as an individual, individual because of your connection with the rest of the body. You hear what I'm saying? And this is an alignment because these are things that are, that are going south. I was looking at Ephesians 4, which is one of my favorite scriptures, passages of scripture that's 
really the, the passage of Scripture that this church was birthed out of. In verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, all of us were given a measure of grace, uh, grace to accomplish a work based upon a gift that He's given us. And we've gone through some of the spiritual gifts before. There's all kinds of gifts. Right here it goes on to talk about what we might call the five-fold ministry or uh, um, some power gift or um, big gifts within the church, leadership type things. He says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. In other words, going back to verse 7, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts, and you can pick it up right there, for the equipping of the saints and for the works of service. A church that is not about those things is a church that is not a church. That was profound. (laughs) And it goes on to say, to the building up of the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and a coarse woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, there, when Christ is doing all that He is and being all that He is in us and we are understanding who He is and who we are, there's a fullness that is happening. And He is wanting us to grow up to the measure of the stature of that fullness. Verse 14, And as a result, when the church is hidden on all cylinders, when the gathering of the saints, they come together, not just to say hi and show everybody my new tie, but when we come together truly for what we're supposed to, as a, the result of that, he says, is right here. As a result, we are no longer being children. In other words, we're growing up. We're no longer tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, which is what will deceive many in the last days. by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, this is what happens. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from who the whole body fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies. Talking about body life, everybody being together. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is it. This is what, this is what we show up for. This is why we are involved. I was thinking, and I'm going to, I'm going to do this very quickly, but I wanted to, I wanted to uh, make mention of our vision and our shared values really quick, because this as a church, this is who we are, and not that it's overly unique from what the Word says that we are supposed to be, because it really lines up with what the Word says, but our vision statement, you can see it up there, is that we are a people who are urging others to choose the way, know the truth, live the life, that is based upon John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody even comes to the Father except through me. My heart, hopefully your heart, is to see people come to the Father. Amen? Amen? Well, say, that's why we're urging people to choose Him instead of the multiple other ways to God. Choose the one way. Jesus said, I am the way. To know the truth, because the truth will set you free. To be discipled, to be equipped, to grow up in the, in the fullness of the stature of, of what, who you're supposed to be in Christ. That's our vision. That's why we exist. When we do things, it's not because oh, we hope people will show up. No, if it's one, then we will equip you as best as we can. 
and then to live the life, which that basically is saying this life in Christ is meant to be. You see it in the Hebrew culture. You see it in the Word. It's meant to be lived out. Christianity is meant to be lived out in community. And so we live the life, a life worthy of the calling together. In fact, I'm not sure that you can live a life worthy of the calling without the context of community because of the power of accountability, prayer, confession, which is a sermon maybe for another day. Do you guys hear me? And some of the things that we spelled out for us when we started um, SOMA, there's, there's, we started with five shared values. We've added one more. And this morning, I'm going to add one more. It's always been there, but I'm, we're going to make it a statement. First of all, and you can see these up here, this is who we are. When you, when you come to SOMA, this is what this gathering of saints feels important. If, if, if you're a person that's like, man, I can't deal with that, you might be in the wrong spot. I'll be honest with you. If these values don't line up with what you are, then, then you might be in the wrong spot unless you ask God to shape your heart to where this is something you value because this is something God values. The first thing is um, authentic worship. We value genuine encounters, not fake encounters, but genuine encounters with God that produce life-changing results. In other words, if I'm doing this every Sunday morning but my life isn't changing, then something's going on. We watched The Village last night. You guys remember The Village? You remember that scene where he shows his blind daughter the little the monster and he says, it's a farce. It's not real. You don't have to be afraid when you go do your thing. It's a farce. Well, listen, if, if our worship isn't authentic, then it's a farce. Amen? That doesn't mean you have to be perfect and you have to be in here with all your ducks in a row. It just means I, out of the purity of my heart, I just, I just want to be changed in His presence. The next one is um, permeating relationships. We value friendships that go beyond superficial into the realm of supernatural grace, allowing us to experience life together, both in celebration and sufferings. In other words, we don't want this. Hey, it's good to see you. Yep, good to see you. Oh, hi, nice to see you. Hey, you know, we don't want that. Not that everybody's going to be connected to everyone. Not everybody in here is going to be best friends. You know what you might see? Some call it clicks. I call it little pockets of friendship, relationship. Forget the word click. If you want to call it a click, you can. But when you have a church of 100 people, you can't expect everybody to come over for dinner. That's a nightmare, a big nightmare. That's why you see pockets of people that seem to be gelling, whether it's over an interest or whatever. Don't be afraid of that group over there gathering. And well, I want to gather. They dress nice. That's the group I want to be in. Whoa. Okay, the next one. Transformational truth. We value teaching the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, believing this is to be the only thing to bring about true change in our lives. That's why we teach the Word, and that's why we're willing to do alignments. The next one is uh, selfless giving. We value the extravagant pouring out of our resources, time, talent, treasure, uh, whatever hoping that every selfless act will communicate our love for God and our love for others. If you're not somebody that wants to give selflessly, you're probably in the wrong place. My prayer is that God would change you because that's, that's something that His character is. You know what I mean? Intentional discipleship. We value doing things on purpose to mature the saints and equip them for the works of ministry. When we do a Bible study, it's not because, man, we've got to get something done. I mean, we've got to do something. No. When you guys show up to the Bible study that God's given Melissa to, to teach, you're going to be changed. And my wife's heart of doing that isn't to promote herself. She's never been like that. It's because she wants to see women become women of excellence. Proverbs 31 women. Amen? 
We value living out the love of Jesus, missional living. We value living out the love of Jesus Christ, believing it will compel the spiritually lost to follow him. In other words, you're a living missionary. If you're a teacher, that's fine. You're a missionary. If you're a doctor, that's fine. You're a missionary. Wherever you are, wherever you are, have the relation, uh, revelation that he is Christ and that you are um, in him. And then I'm adding one this, this morning. This makes seven, so it must be perfect. And that is... <laughs> And that is excellent ministry. We've always operated this way. But we value doing things to the best of our ability, knowing that this pleases God and it communicates to people that we care. Amen? When you do something well, when you go above and beyond, it says to that person, I love you. I did this because I love you. Scripture says that Daniel had a spirit of excellence on him. When we do something, we want to do it in a spirit of excellence. Everything your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Amen? So those three things, you guys, God is pressing on us. He's pressing on us to know Him for who He truly is, Isaiah 61, Messiah. To know that you in Him are a new creation. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You've you got to know that stuff. And the third thing that He's pressing on is for people to not, not leave the church, not say, I don't need the church, but to understand, to have the revelation, I can't do this without the church. I'm not saying that just because I'm a pastor. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd be serving somewhere. I'd be a part because the most fruitful seasons in my life have been whenever I was in church. And the most unfruitful were when I wasn't in church. Amen. You guys stand with me.